You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, earlier this week, I ran across a headline, a headline that read, Desperation That Leads to Faith. That headline was referencing the story of rock and roller Alice Cooper. Some of you, when I mention the name Alice Cooper, you may have had a flashback to a past lifestyle. And that lifestyle may have possibly involved um, some heavy metal music. Uh, You don't have to confess that to us today. Others, when I say the name Alice Cooper, you think, I don't really know who that is. So I want to tell you just a little bit of his story. Um, Alice Cooper was and is known for his raspy voice, um, his use of props, and his very outrageous stage shows. It's because of the use of those props. It's because of that raspy voice. It's because of his outrageous stage shows that he's been given the title, The Godfather of Shock Rock. Um, 39 years ago, after waking up in the hospital, vomiting up blood, uh, Alice Cooper heard his doctors warn him, quit drinking or die. He said that everything that could go wrong within him was shutting down. He said that he had been drinking with Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, trying to keep up with Keith Moon. The only problem is that all three of those men died by the age of 27. It wasn't until after his wife left him that Alice Cooper was forced to face the reality of the person whom he had become. And he recognized that he was at a point of desperation because he could not fix his problem. He did not have the capacity. There was nothing in him. There were no resources that would allow him to fix himself. And so in desperation, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. It was at a point of deep, dark trouble that Alice Cooper found his way to Jesus Christ. A theologian by the name of A.W. Pink very wisely said, it is good when trouble leads a man to God rather than away from God. When we hear the story of Alice Cooper, we recognize that desperation worked to his advantage because it was in this time of desperation that he had a life-changing experience that by faith he came into an encounter with Jesus Christ that has changed his life to this day. He was a man in desperation. Desperation can make itself at home in us when we recognize that we are at the end of our resources. When we recognize that we do not have the capacity to solve the problem or the situation that we find ourselves in. Desperation comes when we're wringing our hands thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this situation. We can find ourselves thrust into desperation through a relational fracture, possibly when it feels like your marriage is on the rocks, through a job loss, through an illness, um, through a financial crisis. And that list could go on and on and on. There are so many things that could thrust us into desperation. Desperation, again, is when we feel like within ourselves, there's no way to salvage the situation. But I want to tell you the good news about desperation. There is good news about desperation. Uh, Desperation opens up the opportunity for faith to work. And when faith is at work, it opens up the opportunity for the miraculous power of Jesus to take place in our lives and in the lives of others. 
Today, we're going to take the time as we look to the Gospel of John to uh, recall the story of a man who found himself in a season at a point of desperation. In fact, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 4. And if also you'll take out your teaching notes. And while you're doing that, I want to just uh, speak to you a moment about the reality uh, of desperation. Uh, this morning, uh, for some, it's possible even throughout the morning, as you heard me begin to talk about desperation or troublesome times, uh, you may have been able to immediately identify uh, a desperate situation in your life a place where you've recognized that your resources aren't enough to solve your problem, that uh, you have no capacity to solve your problem, a place where you've been wringing your hands thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It seems like there's no way to salvage the situation. And I know that that's true because anytime we bring a larger number of people together, there's going to be someone in that situation. But there may be others here, maybe many of you, and you're listening to me right now and you're, you're saying, thankfully, I'm not in the throes of desperation. Thankfully, I'm not in the throes of desperation. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you the reality that I've learned about desperation. Situations that can cause desperation are never that far away. Let me say it again. Situations that can cause desperation are never that far away. We never know what a day will hold. So whether it's now or sometime in the future, you will find yourself in one of those places where you recognize you're in a situation and you don't have the capacity to solve the problem. The problem is beyond you. You don't have the resources. You can't fix your problem. You'll even look within yourself to say, there's nothing within me to salvage the situation. Now, aren't you glad that you came to church this morning only to hear that things are going to get worse for you? So I think... All of you, most of you know me well enough by now to know that that's not the thrust. That's not the, the focus of this message. Instead, we want to look this morning at the story of a man in John chapter 4 who found himself in a desperate situation and he allowed desperation to work for his advantage. That through his desperation, he leaned into the desperation. He, he leaned in and he found Jesus. And with some measure of faith, because of that measure of faith, he was able, as he was leaning in, to experience the miracle-working power of Jesus in his family. And those around him had their faith stirred. And so we want to draw from that story today because, again, situations that can bring desperation are never that far away. So if you're in desperation today or you find yourself in desperation later, the word is active, the word is alive. And so there are principles here that we can draw from when we find ourselves in that place so that we can navigate through the desperation. I want to read the story to you in just a moment. But before I do, let me give you some context that will help us uh, get into the flow of this story. In the same chapter, John chapter 4, prior to this uh, uh, story that we're going to look at today, the, the healing of the official son, we find that Jesus has just finished a conversation with a woman in Samaria um, who was drawing water from a well. That well was Jacob's well. This woman had been living a lifestyle that was... Um, uh, just a bit frowned upon. She had been in relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. And as a result, she had um, 
gained a reputation that caused her to uh, be alienated from the other members of her community. When, the, when, the, when her neighbors, when the, when the members of the community that she lived in, when they looked on her, they saw little value in this woman. But thankfully, that was not the case with Jesus. Jesus has a very surprising conversation with this woman. And through that conversation, this woman found value and purpose and meaning through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does. He always brings value. He always brings purpose. He always brings meaning. And then what we find is Jesus stayed in Samaria for a couple of more days before going on down to the province of Judea. He was in Judea for a while. Then he left and he went back to Galilee. Particularly, he went back to uh, Cana. And it was in Cana that he has another conversation. He has a conversation with the man that we're going to focus on today. And that conversation, uh, that encounter would have been uh, on the opposite end of the social spectrum in comparison to the conversation that he had with this woman. So I want to read to you verses 46 through 54. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this story. So if you follow along as I read. Uh, Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. In these few short verses, we find a man who is uh, living in desperation. Uh, His son is sick. In fact, uh, his son is at the point of death. We don't really know much about this man, but from the context of the scriptures that we just read, we know that he was an important man. He was most likely a very wealthy aristocrat, a man of influence. And he most likely served in the court of King Herod Antipas. This was a man who was accustomed to giving orders. He was accustomed to, uh, to uh, telling people uh, really how to, how to live their life. He was a commander. Um, he was a man who was accustomed to being in control. But here's what he was probably not accustomed to. He was probably not accustomed to, because of his power, because of his position, of being a man who was in need and found himself having to go to someone else and ask for help. Yet this man, because of his desperation, put him in that place. This desperate man hears that Jesus is back in Cana. He makes his way to Cana to find Jesus. He doesn't really know much about Jesus He evidently knows that he's a miracle worker. He's evidently heard that this man uh, was in Cana previously and was at a wedding feast and turned water into wine. And more than likely, that prompted this man to say, if Jesus can turn water into wine, then certainly he can heal my son. So he makes his way. He searches out Jesus. And when he finds him, he engages in a conversation with Jesus. I would imagine that this conversation might have been awkward to start with, not on Jesus' part, 
but on the part of this man. Again, but because again, because of his power, because of his position, he had to put himself in a place of this man who typically commands people and fashions how they would live out their life. He controls how they would live out their life. This man is suddenly in a situation that's beyond his control. His capacity, uh, he has no capacity to solve the problem. He's at the end of his resources. He can't fix this. And so now he has to ask for help. But even so, in asking for help, he comes to Jesus with a plan. It's probably not that this man came to Jesus as a disciple, as a follower, but his coming was probably more transactional in nature. Again, because of his power and position, this was a man who had a plan, told people what to do, and they did it. And that's exactly what he does. He comes to Jesus and he comes with a plan. Jesus, um, I've heard about you. You're a miracle worker. I know what you did when you turned water into wine. it's, It's made its way around. Everybody knows about that. And so my son is sick. And so here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna follow me home. And we're gonna go to my house and you're gonna go into the room where my son is. And you're gonna speak to him or you're gonna place your hands on him. Somehow you're gonna have contact with him and my son will be healed. But very obviously Jesus had a very different plan. Let me read to you again verses 49 through 51. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son had got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. This man came with a plan, but obviously Jesus had a different plan. The man's plan, again, is that you will go with me to my house and have some interaction with my son, and my son will be healed. But Jesus didn't have to go. He didn't have to be present in the same room for the boy to be healed. He only needed to speak, and the boy was healed. His plan was different. You see... Jesus is not limited to distance. Jesus is not limited to space. And let me say this. Jesus is not limited to the plans that you and I can come up with and present to him. You know what I'm talking about, right? How often, I'll speak for myself, but you cannot in agreement if this has happened to you. How often do we find ourselves at a point of surrender? I'm in a point of desperation. I can't fix my problem. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the resource. I don't see within myself a way to salvage this situation. And that's good. That's surrender. That's the point we need to come to. But where we can get off track is in that point of desperation. And then we say, and so Jesus, this is what I was trying to do or trying to accomplish. Again, I can't do it. So I'm going to give you my plan so that you can work it out. And how often, let me just say, always I found that Jesus' plan far exceeds any plan that I've ever been able to come up with. He always does more than. He always does. In fact, I was having a conversation with some of the men in the lobby. We were talking about this. How many times have you uh, said, Jesus, 
thank you that you didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted you to. Because it would have been a mess when we see how Jesus really works it out. See, Jesus isn't limited to time. He isn't limited to space. He isn't limited to distance. And he's not limited to the finiteness of our plan. I don't know if you recall, but last week when we talked about the miracle at the wedding feast, uh, we talked about how when Jesus directed the servants to take the empty water jugs and fill them with water, they did. They, they went. They didn't question him. They just went. And when they brought it back and Jesus directed them to take some water from the jugs, take it to the, to the master of ceremonies, they did. They didn't argue with him. They just did. They may not have known fully what was going on, but there was something within them that they knew that this man was up to something and they wanted to be part of it. Jesus didn't need them to accomplish this miracle, but he chose to involve them and they chose to join in with him. And the same is true of this man. Jesus said, go and your son will live. And then it says, and the man departed and his son was healed. He, 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 when, when Jesus said go, he didn't argue with him. He could have. He could have said, no, remember the plan? You've got to go with me or it won't happen. Instead, he didn't argue. It says he departed and he went. He departed and he went. I, I want you to hear this. Desperation in itself is not faith. But desperation can become the seedbed for faith. In other words, in our times of desperation, once again, when we are at the end, when we recognize we do not have the capacity, we do not have the resource, we do not have what it takes to, to bring resolve to this situation, in that time of desperation, that desperation opens up the opportunity for faith to work and as faith is working, the, it, it makes room, it makes way for the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. This is a story about a miracle, but this is really a story about faith. And because this is a story about faith, putting our faith to work, and earlier we said that's what we want to draw from. How do we, in times of desperation, put our faith to work so we can experience the, the miraculous power of Jesus Christ? So what do we draw from this from this passage. And so I just want to share with you about five things that I've drawn from this passage about putting our faith to work. Uh, putting our faith to work uh, means we have to take time to look back. We have to take time to look back. Um, from all that we can tell, this man was not an eyewitness to the miracle that happened at the wedding. But evidently he had heard and so he, he, he believed in Jesus in some form, in some degree, as a, as a miracle worker. So when he heard that Jesus was coming, he had to look back. Jesus was in Cana previously. He performed a miracle and it did something in him. In him recalling what he had heard about what Jesus had done, it stirred faith in him. And it caused him to um, lean in so that he could experience a miracle in his family. Something happens in us when we will recall God's past faithfulness. 
last week after this service, I spent a good bit of time, Cammie and I, with Jesse Glenn. Uh, if you don't know Jesse, you need to meet Jesse. Um, a prayer warrior, a woman who has seen miracle, 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 along with her sister Fran. Uh, she's also the mother and the aunt of Paul Glenn, who was the first campus pastor here. Um, Jesse just took several minutes and just shared with us miracle after miracle after miracle that she's experienced and she's seen in her life. I know, Fran, you've seen them too. In fact, one of the miracles that she described, and I might not get it perfectly right, but her son Paul had fallen when he was a a child, a a, a severe fracture in the skull, basically from one side to the other, and he died. He He was dead. And on the way to the hospital, he's not dead anymore. He's back. And that, that was a miracle. That was, and she, she, she continued to just tell us miracle after miracle. You've heard me talk of my mom. My mom passed away in 19, uh, 1917, in 2017. And uh, she was really old, wasn't she? <laughs> she passed away in 2017. She was old. She was 95. Um, but she came to an, an encounter with Jesus Christ, relationship with Jesus Christ in her teenage years. But in her early 20s, she had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she began to, she was very Pentecostal. And so uh, she moved in circles where there was great faith. And there was the regular occurrence of miracles. And there were miracles that would occur in the life of our family before I was born. And so as a child, she would tell me about these miracles. And something would happen inside of me when I heard these miracles. That there, was, there was a faith stirred in me that I was reminded that God is, is a miracle-working God. And He still works miracles today. So as my children, our children uh, came and then they grew older, anytime we were with my mom, I asked, would you tell the boys these stories? And they would tell her. And my hope, my prayer is that there was faith stirred in them. Because when we take time to recall the past faithfulness of God, then we're reassured of His future faithfulness. He did, he is, and he, and he will. Um, putting our faith to work in times of desperation means we shouldn't be afraid to embrace times of desperation. And that's right, I said embrace times of desperation. Um, when we work on the, um, the outlines for these messages, we do it in a group, a group of pastors sitting around a table. And um, several weeks ago, we were working out this outline, and I created this outline uh, for my own personal study. And when we came to this point, one of the pastors actually at the table said, embrace. What do, you, what do you mean embrace desperation? He said, that's a strong word. And I go, yeah, it is. And, and he said, what do you mean? And I said, when times of desperation come, we have a choice We can run away from them. We can deny the reality of what's really there. And we can turn away and we can run. We can run away from the reality and we can run away from God. We can be mad or we can lean into the time of desperation. We can lean in. And as we lean in, we say, God, I don't like it because this is here, but it's here. I don't have anything to, ha- to take care of it in myself. So I have to depend on you. So what is it you want me to learn through this time of desperation? What do you want to teach me? What do you want the people around me to see? How do you want to bring glory to yourself? How do you want me to grow? And so we lean in so that we can make our way and experience the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. So we don't run away from it. We run to it. 
putting our faith to work in times of desperation means that our faith has to move us beyond the emotion uh, of the situation. As much as this man may have felt that the best way for his son to experience a healing was for Jesus to come, it wasn't about what he was feeling. It was about what Jesus wanted to do. And Jesus had a different plan. When, this, when Jesus said go, the man could have went into an emotional frenzy. He could have pitched a, 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 a temper tantrum. No, you're going to go. You're going to go. Because when we find ourselves in times of desperation, emotion comes with it, right? There's emotion that's involved. But we can't get caught up in the emotion of the situation. Because it's not about what we believe that Jesus can do. It's not about what we feel he can do or what we feel like we want him to do. But instead, it's about him acting according to what we've come to know and understand and experience about who he is. And what we know is who he is is different than even what we can imagine. He is not limited to our plan. We have to release him, even in the emotion of it. Putting our faith to work in times of desperation means that we have to recognize that there's a bigger picture. Um, I've I've already talked about this. I I just think we just need to hit it home. Um, This man had a perception of how Jesus should do this miracle in the same way that you and I have perceptions of how Jesus will work. Listen, we're finite in our thinking. We, we, we We don't see it all. And so we have to release our perceptions. We have to release our plans. We have to just totally rely on Jesus. I, this is, maybe this won't make sense to anybody, but this, I have a recliner. How many men have a recliner? Yeah. Um, Sunday morning, when I get up early, I go to the recliner and I spend time just getting ready for this this message. And in fact, that every morning during my devotion time, I spend time in a recliner. I, and it's an electric recliner, so I can push a button and the, uh, the, the thing will raise. I noticed this morning, I noticed that even though I can push the button and the, the, the reclining part will raise my legs for me, I always do this. Before I push the button, I raise my legs up and I wait for the recliner to come to it. And you might think that's, what's this all about? The Lord spoke to me this morning and it's like, this is about trust. Are you willing to put your full weight? Are you willing to believe that this, this, this recliner has the power to lift your legs up and you don't have to exert any energy whatsoever? Again, maybe a silly illustration, but there's something that was happening in me that there's something about fully trusting God, putting fully our weight on him, even when it doesn't logically make sense. Because I have to confess, usually the way God works does not logically make sense. It just doesn't. And that's what's so great about God because he's not limited. Finally, when we put our faith to work, we shouldn't be surprised at the impact of our faith. It's interesting, we read in this story that he was on his way home. The servants come to him and they say, your son is healed. And he says, now tell me, when was that? And they said, well, yesterday about one o'clock. And, and, and he says, that's, that's, that's exactly, I don't think he looked at his watch, but it, that's exactly the time that Jesus said, go, your, your son will live. There's something about all of that that transpired that Jesus spoke from the distance and there was this timing that 
uh, a son was healed and an entire family had their faith stirred and they came, an entire household came into relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember, but last week when we talked about miracles, we said, remember, miracles aren't just for us. Miracles are to bring glory to God and so that other people will believe. That's what we see happened here. Other people saw the miraculous power of Jesus and they believed. God was glorified in the midst of it. And so as we're contending for miracles in our lives, yes, we want the benefit from that. But God, what do you want others to see? How will this miracle cause others to come into relationship with you and believe? I don't know personally where you are today. I don't know if you're in a point of desperation or, or maybe you're not. But I'll say it again. Situations that can cause desperation are never that far away. Can we function? Can we live in a way that causes our faith to work in times of desperation? So that we can experience the miraculous power of Jesus Christ now and in the future. Because that's what God has for us. And that's what I'm believing for all of us. Do you believe that? Amen. Would you stand? I want to pray for you as we finish today. Father, I thank you that you're at work right now in our midst. I thank you that there's movement of your Holy Spirit, which is always at work. As we're surrendering to you this morning, you're bringing reassurance of your faithfulness. I pray for every person in this room who would find themselves in the midst of a desperate situation right now. I pray that they would be able to completely surrender to you. I pray that they would be free from being caught up in the emotion of the situation. I pray, Father God, that they could lean into the desperation instead of running away. I pray that uh, all of us give faith the opportunity to work so that we can see the miraculous power that you have, that you bestow, so that others would believe and so that we could be healed. I pray that you would help us be people who would surrender. Help us not to be caught off guard when those times come, but help us to look to your word, even to this story, and draw from it so that we can navigate in a way that our faith is put to work. We're connecting with you through faith. Father God, we offer ourselves to you today, and we honor you in all that we are, all that we say, all that we do. Have your way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.